0: How do you search for a virus? Even worse, how do you search for a virus's DNA? A virus you've never seen before and have no clue what it looks like. If you think of one of your cells as the size of a baseball stadium, a virus would be about the
1: size of a baseball. You could try a targeted approach by sequencing your best educated guess,
0: but with metagenomics, you can sequence everything but the kitchen sink. This week, we talk small viruses and big data with Dr. Eric Delwart. Don't
1: know much biology.
0: Hello and welcome to Radio Bio. I'm your host Julia
1: Alvarez. And I'm your host Andy. Today we're chatting with Dr. Eric Delwart, a researcher from Vitolant Research Institute and UCSF Lab Medicine. Why don't you start by telling us about your research?
2: Well thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so What we've been doing for the past 15 or so years is we've been uh, using the new science of metagenomics, uh, which is just a fancy term for let's take any biological sample and sequence it, and then analyze the sequence information to identify the organisms. Um, Our focus has been uh, finding new eukaryotic viruses. Eukaryotes are anything more uh, complex than bacteria. So it includes us, it includes you know, animals, parasites, plants. Um, and we've been focusing on mostly vertebrates, a lot of farm animals, a lot of human samples, looking for new viruses. Um, so you can, you know, if you sequence a, a nasal swab from a pig, you will see the pig sequences, but you'll see everything else. And that's kind of what we're interested in.
1: And while we're actually on the topic of like the viruses themselves, I'm curious because I love asking this question. Why viruses? You mentioned that Why you Why viruses? Yeah, yeah that's yeah. a good question. <laughs> I
2: don't know. I, I know. I've often asked myself that question. As, <laughs> uh, this is, this is going to get odd, but as a child, I was sort of um, one of those kids that was obsessed with cleanliness. And it could well be that, you know, I, I was raised in Switzerland. Swiss are notoriously too clean, I would say. <laughs> Um, and I, I remember I would, my brothers would tease me all the time, you know, by like, like breathing on me and going. Oh, oh. oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so mean. I, I remember being quite, quite a. And then I get then a you know, fascination with Pasteur and uh, people mm-hmm. who discovered, you know, mm-hmm. bacterias and pathogens. <clears throat> and Pasteur is a huge hero in, in, in Europe, you know. Like, mm-hmm. And uh, so you, you grew up reading these books um, I, then, you know, maybe I saw a morbid fascination with viruses, the way they, mm-hmm. uh, when, you know, just like, I think I became a virologist a bit later, but just infectious material, you know, the plague, mm-hmm. you get the Ebola, and it's sort of fascinating how so, s- things that small can cause so much damage to mm-hmm. society, to culture. I mean, the plague wiped out most, of, you know, third to half of Europe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so there is that, I guess, morbid fascination.
0: Oh, wow. Could you just give us a brief explanation of what viral metagenomics is and what that entails? It's really
2: really just genomics and genomics and smeta. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm not sure what the root of meta is, but for me, it's you take a complex mixture of organisms and you sequence it. And genomics just means you're you're generating... DNA information, so a string of, you know, GATCs, It's very specific orders, and it's that specific order of the DNA that tells you where it's from. So it's been very uh, fruitful, mainly because of advances in not only the throughput of DNA sequences that we can now generate. <coughs> the cost has dropped, you know, more than a thousand fold in the last 10 years. And when you take now for about $1,000, we can generate about 20 million reads of about 150 base pair in length. So, it's a large number of sequence information. We should then compare it to, an, to a much larger databases where all the organisms are uh, and their genomes are organized, and you see where the sequence sticks, where is similarity. Mm -hmm. When you're looking for new viruses, you're not looking for perfect similarity because, by definition, it would not be a new virus. It would be Mm -hmm. an old virus or something already known, Mm -hmm. and we already know a lot of different viruses. Um, So what we're looking for is not a perfect match. We're looking kind of for a weak match. Mm weak but not so weak as to be insignificant so there's like a like a zone where mm-hmm. we find the new viruses mm-hmm. um, where there's some homology but it's not perfect therefore it's a new virus. Then we assemble these short reads we call them which are just stretches of DNA sequences information we assemble them into longer bits of DNA uh, on, and if you have a virus uh, you're going to reach a certain length, typical of that viral family, you will find the genes. The genes are just specific sections of that genome that encode proteins, and you can therefore um, translate those DNA sequences into protein sequences, and you can look for, I'm gonna say in silico or virtual protein sequences from your mystery sample and compare that to all the viral protein sequences in GenBank, and that's how we find viruses.
0: You can think of each DNA fragment like a puzzle piece. Imagine taking each DNA fragment and working out how they fit together to form a familiar but new image. This is how sequencing can be used to discover new genes, new proteins, or even new species. Scientists can share their completed puzzles or
1: sequences by uploading onto an online open database called GenBank.
2: So. Uh but um, yeah whether we'll ever get to the bottom of that it's just that the more sequence the the larger your database is the longer time it takes for your data set to be compared to that database Mm -hmm. so the database in general is probably doubling every couple years Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's a good thing the computer power is also growing to digest the information this is the age of big data Mm -hmm. and we generate so much data now and we can only analyze it for a few things, because our knowledge is restricted.
1: Big data refers to extremely large sets of information, often analyzed using powerful computational tools. Big data surrounds our everyday
0: lives. The internet, social media, and even healthcare all use big data. But how do you make sense of all this information? Bioinformaticists are specialists who study big data for patterns. Because at the end of the day, it's not the amount of the data that's important, but how we use it.
2: So the bioinformatic is quite involved. Um, but, you know, just sort of coming up with bioinformatics, it's really, I get emails from collaborators saying, oh, I want to hire a bioinformatician with a Ph.D. <laughs> or a master's or even just a bachelor. I'm desperate. Can you help me? And I say, yeah, yeah I, sorry, I've got one and I'm not... Letting it go, <laughs> well, you know, and and, and he's working I, I, with everybody in, in the institute. He's sort of an essential person um, because big data now is mm-hmm. coming from most labs, not all, but a lot of labs. You know, yeah. Whether it's mass spec, whether it's um, DNA sequencing, um, and, and somebody has to take that data, look at it in different ways and you need IT skills for that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the people in, in very high demand right now and for the next foreseeable future are people who understand both the biology, that is the basic, you know, what is a genome, what is a gene, and people with some level of, of computer skills.
1: I actually had like almost a tangential question. Your research focus on metagenomics and using metagenomics as a powerful tool to examine this evolution. But do you ever see your field shifting in the future towards new uh, new frontiers? Well,
2: no, I, I think it already is. Um, we do humans because you know my lab is in a big blood bag that's very concerned with emerging viruses. So we do a lot of um, uh, human samples. We look at uh, unexplained fever. Uh, we look at plasma pools. Uh, we look at a lot of human samples. Basically, any any that's got kind of an unexplained human disease that kind of looks and feels infectious. Um, <laughs> yeah. We're always interested in getting samples if they're you know properly collected. Um, uh, but we also do a lot of animal work because, mm-hmm. uh, in a sense, animal uh, human viruses come from animal viruses. You know, they, they mm-hmm. don't spawn out of nothing they come from another species most of the time or from mm-hmm. a, you know, a reservoir somewhere else typically you know bats uh, rodents primates non-human primates mm-hmm. but uh, you know, also farm animals as well mm-hmm. so um but there's going to be i think over well, there already is a big move towards using metagenomic for the diagnostic field in human health mm-hmm. so a lot of people come in with unexplained symptoms and then sometime, based on that, they can come up with, oh, we should really be using this antibiotic or mm-hmm. this treatment. As to before, they had no clue what was causing this uh, this problem. But I think it's going to move. I mean, I can well see a time, maybe 10, maybe a few more years from now, where, oh, I'm not feeling well this morning. I'm kind of curious what's going on. You know, <laughs> you'll swab your nostril. You'll stick that in a little Ziploc. You'll ship it to, you know, Mm-hmm. The equivalent of Twenty Three and Me, but you know, for <laughs> viruses or bacteria, they'll sequence it. And they'll tell you mm-hmm. what, where did you have? Uh, be all kind of fun things because they'll say, "Oh, I get my virus from you." Because you know, of <laughs> course, you, you know, other people in your household can do the same thing. So, oh, it'll be interesting to do that, mm-hmm. and um, you know, you could basically sample yourself every day and see the the infection coming there's also you know uh, other uses of you know, forensic you can well imagine you know mm-hmm. oh what's that mud on your shoe you know um you know it has a very typical signature of the mud from you know the vernal mm-hmm. pools that you see were said <laughs> you know <Yeah. laughs> therefore you were there you know of mm-hmm. course the, there's all kinds of issues you know quality control and you know mm-hmm. but um there's a lot of things you can do with that data because we only scratch the surface we look at eukaryotic viral sequences, but we know there's other stuff in there. In fact, the, the viral sequence is less than 1% of the mm-hmm. data that we generate. So it's kind of a growth industry trying to understand. If you take a random sample and you sequence it, what is in it? Mm-hmm. A lot of bacteria, a lot of bacteria that you've never seen before, but very often you don't know. And, and slowly but surely, everything on Earth is being sequenced. There's a lot of it to sequence. There's <laughs> a lot of bacteria out there.
0: I'm wondering, you told us this story about what kind of got you interested when you were younger. Are you, now that you know so much about viruses and how many there are and um, how they just, Kind of contaminate and infiltrate everything. Are you still that much of a germ freak? Are you? <laughs> no, worse? no. Actually, I cannot. <laughs>
2: I guess in my later teenage years, and you know, maybe in college, uh, I uh, became like most people, a total slob. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 and and now, especially with my kids, you know, I, I realize, don't try to make him wash their hands all the time. You mm. may not be doing them a favor. Mm. What you mm. want is you want exposure to the right kind of. Uh, bacteria, to the right kind of viruses. Mm -hmm. You don't want to expose them to flu or (laughs) other stuff, but you you don't want them to be in a cocoon either because they Mm -hmm. will contact the world Mm
1: -hmm. at some
2: point and their immune system has to be in good shape.
1: So we asked Dr. Delwert what does this process actually look like? How does he go from a sample from a sick patient to a DNA sequence all the way to identification of an unseen virus?
2: We go far and wide. We (laughs) collaborate with whoever, you know, is willing. I often find collaborators by reading the literature, finding an interesting paper where they took 50 people with unexplained fever or respiratory symptoms, (coughs) tested them for all the usual culprits, and usually a fair fraction of the sick patients, uh, no pathogen can be identified. So we receive their samples, they could be blood, they could be feces, they could be respiratory swabs. Um, we will basically homogenize these tissues, we'll mush them up into a soup, uh, and then we'll process that soup to, for, uh, to enrich for viral particles. And I think what's happened historically is people focused mostly on the pathogens because you could see something. Remember, a virus is invisible, so the only way you saw a virus was there was a sick person or a sick animal and then you could take that, you could passage it to another sick animal say, oh, I can transfer this from animal to animal. Then people say, oh, I can put it through a filter. Therefore, it's not a bacteria. It's a filterable agent, i.e. a virus. Now with metagenomics, we kind of shortened the process, and we can see them only, well, we see them through their nu- the presence, the detection of their nucleic acid. So they don't have to grow. They don't have to be at particularly high concentration. They don't have to cause disease. They're just there, <laughs> and then we can see them because they look like other viruses, sometimes only faintly so, um, but they're recognizable as, as viruses, and that's just the beginning of the process. So working with vet is very important because they can take these viral genomes to the next stage, because having the viral genome, um, in a sense, is just a starting point. With that, you can design the assays that, given the right samples, you can understand the epidemiology that is, how common is that infection? How pathogenic? You know, how is it transmitted? How can you, how can you stop it? You mm-hmm. need to understand its ecology, uh but the genome is is a is a starting point, and that's what we provide. In a sense, we're just adding genomes to GenBank, and for us and other people to design further assays to ask mm-hmm. these questions: Are they pathogens or are they just fairly harmless viruses?
0: Mm-hmm. So. We hear a lot about like the gut microbiome and how recently we've learned that not all bacteria are bad, but that there's, you know, we're finding out that there's a lot of good bacteria. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that is consistent with viruses that are inside of us?
2: Can viruses be good for you? There's no really clear case of it, except that can be you can make a lot of arguments as to how they could be good. For example, there's an old theory called the hygiene hypothesis that some level of exposure early on in life to the microbiological world around you is good for you in the sense that you have fewer allergies. People have noticed that people who are raised on farms, contacts with animals and animal products and, you know, dust in the air, these people have way fewer allergies than people who are raised in more sterile environments. Some viruses may be good for you in the sense that if you get them young, very young, they're going to infect you in the, while you're still loaded up with what's called maternal antibodies. Mm-hmm. So, you know, during gestation, maternal antibodies traverse the placenta and uh, go into the, the developing uh, baby. And when it's born, it's sort of protected by its mother's antibody. And the longer you breastfeed an infant... The more you're going to give it uh, antibodies, and these antibodies actually last quite a long time. The last, I think, a half-life of these maternal antibodies about six months or nine months or so. They they will linger and protect you. That's why breastfeeding is so good. Beside all the other good nutrients that you get, and probably some good bacteria mm-hmm. that are going to start seeding your gut. So so you have now, and these antibodies they go from the gut of the baby inside the bloodstream of the baby. They're transport it into the bloodstream. So in a sense, the viruses that infected the mom develop, results in antibodies. These antibodies end up in the baby. The baby is protected. Mm -hmm. It's not 100% protected because what happens is you're going to start your viral infection, typically in the gut or the respiratory tract, uh, but it's not going to go very far because the maternal antibody will squelch it. Mm -hmm. But it'll go far enough that you will now develop your own antibodies, your own immune system, says, oh, a little kind like of vaccination. It's a low-level infection. So now you got your own antibodies. And therefore, you could argue in the same way that if you get viral infections and you survive them <laughs> because of maternal <laughs> antibodies, because general good health, you know, you're being fed enough, um, you will now develop antibodies and, and also T-cell immune responses, and that could well protect you not only against that virus, but against related viruses. Mm-hmm. Some of who may be quite pathogenic, but mm-hmm. you can have cross protection. So getting infected at the right time with the right virus so it doesn't hurt you, but it immunizes you, can mm-hmm. protect you against a later nastier infection.
0: Pathogenic or not, viruses are here to stay. They're an important part of our developing immune system, whether they're positively influencing our microbiota or testing us with their pathogenic capabilities. And as viral research continues,
1: so does the advancement of metagenomics and big data. Sequencing is getting easier and easier, and maybe one day, just like Dr. Delwert suggested, we'll be able to sequence our own viruses from the comfort of our home. So this has been Radio Bio with Dr. Delwert. Thank you so much for coming and speaking with us. It's been a pleasure. And as always, listen to life. Yeah. This episode of Radio Bio was produced by Yumari Vasquez and edited by Yumari Vasquez. Interviewers were Anne Deep and Julia Avarez. Episode artwork
0: by Jeff Lauder. Radio Bio is produced by graduate students at the University of California, Merced. Support for Radio Bio comes from the Quantitative and Systems Biology Graduate Group, the School of Natural Sciences, and the Graduate Division at UC Merced. You can help support Radio Bio's mission of increasing scientific literacy in California's Central Valley and beyond by donating at giving.ucmerced.edu slash radio bio. Find out more about our mission, events, and podcasts at www.radiobio.net.